Well, good morning. Um, I'm so excited to be speaking to you guys today because we're in our series all about the workplace. And I feel like personally, I've been on quite a journey over the years with what it looks like for me to be a Christian in that setting. So to give you a bit of context, I'm a teacher and I've just come off the back of a week of Ofsted. Um, So (laughs) I know what it looks like to work long hours and to be stressed to the point of breaking point and to ask that question, am I really supposed to be doing this? Is this what God's called me to do? And just calling a spade a spade, sometimes hating my job, just saying how it is. But... I've also experienced huge joy in my workplace as well. And I love that satisfaction of a job well done at the end of the day. So what I'm gonna try and attempt to do this morning is not to give you a step-by-step guide in how to be a perfect Christian in your workplace, unfortunately, um, but to just give some principles that I've found helpful over the years. So. Last week, Tom beautifully took us through um, the kind of foundation and the theology of what workplace looks like and to be a person of work. And he talked about how in the Garden of Eden, right at the beginning of our story, that there was work and that it's baked into our DNA. It's part of who we are and what we're called to do and that it's a good thing. I feel like I need to remember that this week, that work is actually a good thing. Hey, so... What would, and my question for this morning is, what would flourishing look like for us in our workplace setting? And when I say work, I mean whatever you give the bulk of your time to. That could be volunteering, it could be teaching, it could be parenting, it could be studying. So... Allow me to be a geokino for a second. I'm a geography teacher, as it were. And on the screen, you're going to have a picture of Death Valley. Now, Death Valley is a, um, a desert in the States. Um, it is a place of extremes. It has the highest and lowest altitude in all of North America. Um, and it's always been a source of curiosity for me because I remember at university, one of my lecturers saying that he, on the top of his bucket list, he wanted to motorbike across. Death Valley, and I remember thinking, he gonna die. (laughs) But he didn't actually die. I mean, he did do it and he was fine. But this desert has the highest ambient air temperature ever recorded on the surface of the Earth of 56.7 degrees Celsius. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm melting anything above 20. If anyone's seen my arms today, I'm like literally red raw from yesterday. So this isn't, this isn't a place that I would particularly like to go to. I wouldn't particularly like to motorbike across it. But something amazing happened in this desert in 2016. You might see it come on the screen. This is something that scientists call a superbloom. Now you can see here millions of wildflowers that sprung up from the desert floor. With the ground consisting of salt, sand, and literally no moisture, this seems like the last thing on planet Earth that would happen in this kind of environment. But yet, new life could be seen here. Sometimes 21st century Britain feels like a really difficult place to live, especially if you're a Christian working in contexts and systems that feel far from God's original design. But yet, God has a plan for new life. Let's be people who go out into the world and see super blooms happen around us. In the most unlikely of places, in the GP clinics, at the school gate, in the staff room, even on Microsoft Teams. It can happen, guys. 
This isn't something that's limited to the four walls of this church, but God has a vision bigger than that. Let's be people who see new life spring up from barren landscapes. So again, what would flourishing look like for us in the workplace? So I want us to look at a story in the Bible of someone who struggled under harsh leadership in a difficult environment, but yet flourished. And this is the story of Daniel. Now, Daniel is someone who didn't choose the Babylonian grad scheme, but somehow ended up on one anyway. And this is because of Babylon, this huge empire, ended up going into Israel and taking the best and the brightest during captivity and put them into positions of leadership. And one of these people was Daniel. And Daniel finds himself within this context that's probably similar to like a ruthless London inner city business environment. And yet managed to be really good at his job and have holiness and integrity somehow at the same time. Quite difficult. So before we get stuck into our passage this morning, I just want you to get a bit of context of where we find ourselves within the story of Daniel. So Daniel's in Babylon. He is serving the king, who is called King Nebuchadnezzar, and he is one of the wise men in the palace. And King Nebuchadnezzar ends up having a dream and this dream ends up playing on his mind and he finds himself being quite restless. So he goes out and he says, you know, can anyone explain this dream to me? And he gets the astrologers, the magicians and the wise men and says, you know, come and tell me what this dream means. But a little bit of a uh, side curveball, yeah, bit of a curveball is that not only can you explain it to me, but tell me what it was in the first place. It's a bit like your boss saying, I've had this new idea, come and tell me what you think about it, but also tell me what the idea is. I'm not going to tell you, you have to guess. So obviously no one could do it. I mean, this is an impossible task. No one managed to accomplish this of what the king was asking. So, you know, the the wise thing to do and the, the practical thing, he thought the solution to this problem is to just kill them all, to execute them. I mean, this is a boss going on an absolute mad one. And... Into this context, we find Daniel and how he responds to the situation. So I'm just going to ask Ali if he can come up and share our reading. Morning. Uh, this reading is from two, um, Daniel, is it Daniel chapter two? Yeah. Was it right? Yeah, Ch- uh, verse 17 to 20. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) Thanks be to God. (laughs) We are Anglican here. Um, So, I mean, I think this is amazing the way that Daniel responded. I mean, he had a choice. He could have done many things. I mean, there is a people and and a world around us that much like King Nebuchadnezzar are looking for answers. There is people on the desk next to us, on the walk into school, in the lecture theatre, who are restless for answers. And from what I can see, they're not really getting it in the world around them. 
And Daniel didn't respond here by just shying away and staying in his holy huddle, but instead he stepped in and became the answer to the king's questions. Let's step in. God is working, God is on the move, his kingdom is coming and is at hand. He is raising wild flowers from barren landscapes and making all things new. Let's join in on what God is doing. I feel like that's an amen. (laughs) For a long time, I thought I was a second-rate Christian because I am not a vicar and I'm not in full-time ministry. But over the years, I've come to realize that education is my ministry that God has a plan for young people to find their identity and their purpose in him, to see the education sector have creativity and integrity with how they go about their roles. God has a plan for my workplace and he has a plan for yours. Your work or wherever you find yourself is your ministry. Let's step in. So how do we do this? How do we step in to what God is calling us to do and see flourishing happen in our context? And there's loads of things that I could talk about. And for the sake of time, I'm going to try and just talk about three key areas. And I believe that as a church, God is calling us to be a distinctive people in our settings by being people of pursuit, people of peace, and people of potential. So firstly, to be a people of pursuit. When it comes to our work or whatever you're doing during your week, if we're honest with ourselves, are we in pursuit of God's glory or our own? Now, when I was younger, I had this obsession with writing my name on things. I think it's because I'm a twin and I grew up in um, sharing a bedroom with my sister until I was 18 on these like bunk beds. And I was very keen on kind of separating this is mine and this is yours, you know, hands off. Admittedly, it went a little bit too far when I started to engrave my name onto the wooden bed slats on the top bit of the bunk bed. Um, my mum actually cottoned on the fact that I was doing this and I thought I didn't want to get in trouble so for some reason I thought it was a good idea to start writing my sister's name um, into the kind of squishy stuff between the wall and the ceiling that you get. Um, It's actually there 20 years later, still remains there. But as humans we have this tendency to claim things as ours, to say this is mine, I built this, I made this. Now, if you thought that I was bad, King Nebuchadnezzar is like the extreme version. He was so obsessed that when they were building the palace in Babylon, he had his name inscribed on every single brick that was laid. In Daniel 4 verse 13, it might come on the screen, it says that King Nebuchadnezzar said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? It was all about him, his glory, what he has built, his name. Are we pursuing God's glory or our own in our workplace? On a Sunday, it's easy to kind of um, be in a time of worship and say, all glory to God, all glory to God. And then come Monday morning, we start to kind of cut corners in order to get that promotion. Or we start to raise ourselves above others, no matter what the consequence or the cost to our relationships. Or it might be that we're in a meeting and someone shares an idea that was actually originally our idea. And we go, <clears throat> that, was a, that was actually mine. You know, aren't I marvellous? Aren't I great? Look at me. All glory to me. 
in all honesty, that was actually me a few weeks ago. Um, there was someone in my team that came up with this amazing idea and I was asked to share it in a leadership meeting. And I went in and started to realise that I was using the vocabulary of I. You know, this is my idea, I've come up with this, aren't I great? I mean, whose glory was I in pursuit of there? I had to make quite a lot of apologies after that, not going to lie. But Daniel finds himself in this environment where he's asked to interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He's asked to do something. And when God gives him the answer, as we were reading the passage earlier, God gave him the answer to the problem. And when that happened, his instinct wasn't to go to the colleague or go to the boss and say, hey, mate, I've come up with this cracking idea. Look how great I am. All glory to me. I'm marvellous. But instead, he goes into a song of worship. Says, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belongs wisdom and might. This wasn't a song sung in the public space, but one sung in the private space. The antidote to misplaced glory is to put it back where it belongs. This doesn't mean that you have to break out into song in your staff room, but there is a practice here. I mean, Daniel experienced some tough points in his career, and I'm sure there are people here who've had to go through some really tough points in their workplace or in their setting. But through it all, whether it's being thrown into a den of lions or his friends being put into a burning furnace, through it all, he managed to stay steadfast. We can be steadfast when we hold fast to him. If we think that we are at the centre of the story, if we think that we're the glue that holds this whole thing together, then when things start to go wrong, it all falls apart. And I know I've experienced that. But the great news is, is that God is the centre of the story. He is the one that holds it together, so we don't have to. It's him that it remains at the centre of this equation, so therefore all glory to him. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31, it says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In, in your work and in your setting, God deserves all the glory. When the world is looking to make a name for itself, I choose to make a name for Jesus instead. Every brick I build of my career will have the name of Jesus inscribed on it. I'll say that again. Every brick I build of my career will have the name of Jesus inscribed on it. We are in pursuit of the one. Therefore, we can show up to work, all of who we are, faults, fumblings, and faith. It means when the promotion comes, we can step into it with confidence, knowing that God has a plan for us and is with us. It means when the tough points come, which they do, it's okay because he's the one that holds it together anyway, not us. He is at the centre. And thank goodness that it's him that's at the centre. How freeing is that, that we don't have to hold it all together and put on this front and make everything, everything seem okay? What would it look like if we were a community of Jesus followers rocking up to work tomorrow morning and we started to freely promote others beyond ourselves? gave away encouragements freely, started to admit our faults and apologise if something's gone wrong or if we've made a mistake. What would it look like if we were in pursuit of God's glory instead of our own? So firstly, we are called to be a distinctive people of pursuit. Secondly, a people of peace. 
Now, it's fair to say that King Nebuchadnezzar is not a particularly Zen guy. I'm not sure that he uh, did some yoga and, you know, chilled out on the weekend. He is, um, yeah, pretty unpeaceful and chaotic. You know, when people go into the workplaces and they do those reviews of well-being, I mean, I've literally experienced that this week in Ofsted, and they uh, do those cultural surveys. I think if they did that in Babylon, they'd probably fail on all accounts. I mean, it was so bad at one point that he said, not only did he want to kill his wise men, but he said he wanted to tear them limb from limb. I mean, that is barbaric. Hopefully, no one in this room has experienced that kind of leadership or management. And if you have, we'll pray for you at the end. But we have all probably experienced when everything feels like it's gone to pot. I know that I have definitely experienced the reality of chaos in the workplace. I mean, if you are a parent, I mean, I've hung out with some friends that have kids and after five minutes, you're like, boy, this, this sometimes feels like, I don't know how you do it. Or if you are a you know, student and you're trying to balance lectures and assignments and trying to have a social, I mean, sometimes it just feels like chaos. For me, I have experienced real chaos. I've experienced assault in the workplace. I've experienced having panic attacks, being signed off work, and long-term dissatisfaction with the injustice of the education system at points. But I, I don't stand here being a person of peace because of something that I'm putting on and faking or mustering up in myself. But I can be a person of peace because I'm connected to the Prince of Peace. In verse 17 and 18 of our passage, we see that Daniel distinguished himself from every other person in the palace that day. Instead of responding out of a place of fear, he ended up going and seeking the God of peace. You see him going to his friends and saying, hey, let's get together. We need to pray for this situation. Because of this, God gave him the interpretation to the dream and he was able to go before the king and therefore actually no one was killed that day. God used Daniel to bring about peace in a truly chaotic situation. A few years ago, I was working in a school in Portsmouth and um, there was a girl in my tutor group who was um, very kind of put together. She um, was very confident. Um, she was actually a bit of a pain to teach. Um, she, um, she knew what she was about. She sometimes fell out with her friends and you know all the rest of it. And I remember one day God just put her on my heart um, to pray for her. And I didn't really know why, but I just started praying for her in the mornings before going to school. I remember because of this, I'd try and ask her a few questions in the morning, just saying, you know, how, how are you doing? And she would often respond through various concoctions of swearing. Um, she, uh, yeah, very confident young girl. But um, there was a day after school where I'd stayed for a few hours um, and, you know, everyone had gone home. And I remember hearing this sound behind me and this girl was climbing through my classroom window. I mean, luckily it was a first floor window. I mean, it wasn't. And... I remember when she climbed through the window thinking, oh my gosh, she's covered in mud and she had like her clothes ripped up and she had blood on her hands and her face. And I thought, oh my gosh. And she sat down at my feet and I'll never forget, she burst out crying and said, miss, I'm so sorry. I just didn't know where else to go. You're the only safe person I know in the city. And I mean, this girl had ended up, I had a conversation with her and she had ended up in a fight to do with gangs across the other side of Portsmouth. And she'd run all the way across the city to climb into a teacher's window. When something goes wrong in someone's life, are we the person that they run to? 
Are we providing safe spaces for people, even the unlikely people who, who doesn't seem like they need us in any way? Are we providing spaces for peace in amongst the chaos? If we're to be people of peace, then we're called to be de facto chaplains to our workplace. And what I mean by that is that we appoint ourselves pastorally responsible for the people around us. And I think that the facto chaplains, just to get a bit practical, I think plays out in three kind of key ways. And the first is simply to just listen. Are we giving people space to really be heard? Not because we're their line manager, not because we have to, or it's our duty as a Christian to listen and we have to ask that kind of question every morning, oh, how was your weekend, when we don't really listen to what they have to say? Are we people who listen and are truly interested in what is happening in the lives of the people around us? Second is to pray. I mean, bring these conversations to God. When Daniel heard something that was something of chaos, he brought it into community and prayed. I was complaining to a colleague of mine a few weeks ago um, about something and she, she said, oh, have you prayed about it? And I thought, oh, no. She, she knows that I'm someone who prays and she was just holding me to account for my own standard. Are we known as people who pray? And when we do pray, do we tell people, hey, I, you know, I've been praying for that situation, that you know, family member of yours, I, you know, I pray in the mornings, I'd love to be praying, is that okay? And then follow up with them a few weeks later, just say, hey, you know, has that situation improved? How's it going? I've been praying. Is there anything else I could be praying for? So listen, pray, and thirdly, be intentional. Go out of your way to love and care for the people around you. This means that, you know, when a birthday happens, celebrate it. Even if you're terrible at baking, feel free to bake a cake or sing a song. When a work event happens, show up. Be a consistent presence in your workplace so that when the diagnosis happens or when the relationship breaks down, they know that you are someone who prays, listens and is available for them. Our workplaces desperately need people who care. So to be a distinctive person in the workplace is to be a person of pursuit, to be a person of peace, and lastly, be a person of potential. And what I mean by this, a person of potential, is to have vision for your workplace that is greater than something that can be accomplished by yourself, but something that can only be achieved with God. Essentially, do we actually believe that God can show up to our workplace in miraculous ways? It could be easy for Daniel to have lived a solitary life and to keep his head down, not rock the boat, and just get on with the job at hand, essentially to live in survival mode. And I'm sure there's people in this room who know what that feels like to just try and get through the day. I definitely know that. I actually once had to make an incentive for myself going to work because during my teacher training year, I just, I, I just hated what I was doing, basically, and wanted to get myself out the door in the morning. So, um, I mean, this is a teacher stereotype, but just leaning in at this point. Um, I got myself some gold stars and um, <laughs> ended up, I had this at, my, at the front of my planner, um, made myself a reward card, and I put 10 gold stars, and for every 10 gold stars, this is genuine, um, bought myself a coffee or a sweet treat and that would get me through the day. But surely God has so much more for us than that. I mean, we don't have to just drag ourselves through the work day. I mean, yes, work is tough. Yes, there are trials. But let's lift our hope horizon and remember that we worship a God that can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. 
Death Valley, of all places, is a place where plants live in survival mode, yet a super bloom happened. Lots of scientists have tried to figure out why, and one of the biggest theories they have is that there were seeds just below the surface the whole time, but they didn't have the conditions needed for flourishing. Tim Keller, the legend, said, God left creation with deep, untapped potential for cultivation that people were to unlock through their labour. There is deep, untapped potential just below the surface, all around us. Deep, untapped potential in your work, in your colleagues, in you. Are we giving the conditions for flourishing? And to remember that we worship a wonder-working God that is active and alive. This doesn't mean that it's always going to work out. It doesn't mean that we're always going to be successful and that when we pray for things, it will always happen. But this is a heart posture of expectancy. When we walk into the the workplace, into the meeting, when we drop our kids off at school, are we expectant that God will move and that he can show up in the miraculous? Babylon might have been seen as too far gone, a death valley, no hope situation. King Nebuchadnezzar might have been seen as hopeless. Yet Daniel was used by God to bring about incredible change in that environment. At the beginning of chapter three of Daniel, it talks about how King Nebuchadnezzar was worshipping idols and forcing everyone in Babylon to worship idols. Yet at the end of chapter four, he ends up putting his faith and trust in Yahweh. He ends up saying, then I praise the most high. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. God can use us to bring about change. Do we believe that? Do we want to partner with God to bring about transformation in culture and in the spaces that we find ourselves in? Let's lift our hope horizon. I think there's two, two ways that we can see this very quickly, that how we can partner with God to see this kind of change in our environment. And the first one, I think, is to simply call out the potential that we see around us. That could be that you just say, hey, I've noticed that you're great at your job, or you led that meeting really well, or even saying, I've noticed this potential in you, why don't you come and give this a go, giving spaces for people to flourish. But secondly, is to intercede. Now, I think this is quite a challenging thing to do because if I'm honest, sometimes I don't want to pray because I've lost hope. I look at my workplace and I think, my workplace is just my workplace. My colleagues are my colleagues and they're not going to change. This is just the way it is and I just have to survive and accept it. Lift your hope horizon. Let's be a church that prays the bold prayers and believes that God wants to move in those spaces. I've personally seen answers to prayers of colleagues being healed, colleagues coming to know Jesus. Yes, I've seen colleagues go through Alpha, but more than that, I've seen them walk step by step through life and seen transformation in the day to day. Let's walk with our colleagues through things. Let's walk with our friends and our neighbours through life and allow transformation to happen. Not because we're anything special, but we're simply available and praying. Lift your hope horizon. Commit to intercede for your workplace. Ask God to change things. Be people who see potential for super blooms everywhere you go.